All right. Hello, Canada. Baseball fans in the United States and Newfoundland. That's right. We brought back the old intro because Clayton is out. Patrick is in. Welcome to episode 17 of Bat Flips and Maple Dips, the baseball podcast that comes to you from Canada. So, unfortunately, this week Clayton is out, so it's just me and Justin there in Saskatoon. Justin, how are you doing this week? Doing great, Patrick. Thanks. How's it out there in the Maritimes? It is raining, and it's going to rain for the rest of the week, which is great. (laughs) That is typical Halifax. Summer is over, so let the rain start, and it's only going to be a matter of time before the snow starts to fall. Uh, Don't say that word. I know, winter is coming. Here we go. <laughs> so, uh, in case you don't already know, Bat Flips and Maple Dips is on Facebook. You go to facebook.com slash batflips and maple dips. We are on Twitter and Instagram as well, at BFMD Podcast. Uh, we are on SoundCloud. Go to soundcloud.com slash batflips maple dash maple dips. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music. We are easy to find. You just got to look up Bat Flips Maple Dips. Uh, thanks for taking the time to listen to the episode. We're down to man. The show must go on, though. But before we get to the recap, I do want to take a moment to talk about our soon-to-be-departing manager, John Gibbons. It was just announced today that he is not going to finish out his contract as uh, manager of the Blue Jays in 2019. The departure is mutual, as Gibby and Ross Atkins met with media this morning together. Uh, This has been in the books for a long time uh, coming. I guess it was decided at least more than a month ago, right? Yeah, a couple months ago, I think, is when it kind of uh, surfaced that it was going to be likely that he wouldn't be back. Yeah, it's got to be painful as a manager who's just sort of sitting there and managing, you know, (laughs) basically meaningless games, wondering what the future is going to hold for him. You know, I love Gibby. Uh, he picked up win number nine or 792 as a manager today, which means uh, he will finish with a winning record as manager of the Jays. Right now, uh, his record sits at 792 and 787, so uh, can't get any worse than 500. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that even matters anymore. I mean, it used I don't to think be so. that. Yeah, like, do wins matter anymore for a manager? What I do you think you Justin? look at the uh, the quality of teams, and I mean, for two years in 2015 and 2016, he was managing some great Blue Jay teams. But outside of that, his uh, his tenure in Toronto has often seen him have less than uh, less than par <laughs> in terms of quality of of teams, like this year and last year, to name a couple of seasons. So, I mean, for me, I'm more looking at what a guy can do when he has the talent in place to win. Like, nobody expected us to win 90 games this year, and we won't come close to that. Um, thank goodness, because it wouldn't have mattered anyway in our division. Um, but, I, no, I, I don't think wins matter as much. For a, for a manager, they're still important, because if you have a manager who's 500 and, and, and 1,000 as a manager, you're probably not going to look at him that highly. But for a guy like Gibby, if you're anywhere around that 500 mark, you're probably doing pretty well. Yeah, what was the year that uh, that Gibby started with us the, the second time around? So like this uh, most recent streak. I believe 2013. 2013. Yeah, it's been five years. 
Wow. That's hard to believe. I mean, I can remember in 2014 finally getting back into baseball after some time away from the sport, focusing on other sports and sort of my interest in the Jays being limited by their, you know, less than stellar performance for a number of years. But yeah, if you like go back uh, to 2013 was his first year back with us again. Um, he had three winning seasons, like three seasons where he was over mm-hmm. 500. Yeah. And then three, I guess it would be four now, uh, because this year is, you know, we're definitely going to finish below 500. And even though the, the record is pretty close to 500 and we did have four seasons where we, we did win over 70 games, which is something, uh, but they were the performances were pretty disappointing. I I don't know. Like I I'm gonna I always think of Gibby as like Gibby is the best J manager of all time because he was a players manager. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean I I look everyone loves Cito, but I feel like those teams are so good that it wouldn't have mattered who was you know managing at that point. That's I a feel fair like. Point. Gibby is like the spirit of Toronto in a in a way. What do you think? <laughs> uh, if the spirit of Toronto is casually sauntering out to the mound and leaning on the railing, then yeah, he's uh, definitely. I, I mean, the people the people like him because he's he, he's just he's laissez faire, as they say. Like uh, the interviews where he's just in his office with his hands behind his head and his feet up on the desk talking to the reporters. Like that's just like that's classic Gibby right there. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, for. The great thing too is that he's celebrated by the city that he, you know, that he's working in. And mm-hmm. the Toronto Mayor John Tory proclaimed that uh, September 26, 2018, was going to be John Gibbons Day in the city, <laughs> which is a really nice gesture. Cool. Yeah, like I don't know, I don't know what it means exactly. I think it's just a way of like reminding people that this is the last time they're going to get a chance to see, you know, Gibby down there in the in the. Uh, <clears throat> In the dugout, yeah. down there with yeah, in the dugout with the players and doing that old lean on the <laughs> on the railing. I just there's something about him. He has like this is a weird, obscure, nerdy reference. But if he if this were Dungeons and Dragons, he would definitely have a twenty charisma. <laughs> the guy he could say and do whatever he wants, and there's just nothing. There's nothing he can really do to to uh to disappoint us but i mean what would you say is your favorite gibby memory at this point um man i I like uh one of the more controversial moments when him and josh donaldson almost fought in the dugout (laughs) a couple (laughs) years ago and i think it was i think it was josh tolley and and somebody else who had to uh kind of break them up um in the dugout but man for me i mean he's been he's been tossed 56 times over his two stints as our manager and he's leading the league this year with seven ejections. Uh, I, I think it's got to be for me just like the way he can go from like zero to a hundred real quick. To quote Drake, he'll come out of the dugout. My favorite Gibby moment this season was when he came out to make a pitching change, and as he was walking out, he started drawing at the home plate umpire who tossed him. 
but Gibby just made the pitching change anyway, and then he left. <laughs> he just he just kept on walking to the mound, made his pitching change, and then left. He just didn't even really care. He's like, oh, whatever. I got tossed. We're losing anyway. Uh, it was sometime. I think it was in July or August. It was it was not wasn't too long ago. But yeah, he was walking out, probably chirping balls and strikes. Got tossed, made the pitching change, and then left the game. Yeah, no big deal. That's. But I mean, just just like all the cuts to Gibby, where he's just leaning on the railing, just chewing on spits and bubble gum, just not even caring, not a care in the world. I love it. How about you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like I, I like seeing what he did in, in the uh, in, in the dugout. It's here's the thing: is like Gibby is known as a player's manager. Yeah, meaning that he's very popular in the dugout. He's very popular with the whole roster. I'm sure he has his detractors, but in general, he is, you know, widely regarded as uh, one of the most popular managers among his players in the league. But I, I liked seeing him clash with his players because it meant that he wasn't going to take advantage of the fact that they, you know, adored him so much and that when he actually got cross with them, it meant something more. It meant that there was a bigger problem or that it was more uh important right that the player listen to gibby like when he lashed out at uh kevin pilar for the toot bland uh <laughs> earlier this year yeah i guess it's not a toot bland because he just tried to steal and he failed no that's but, a toot bland yeah i mean <laughs> it was just a bad time to try to steal and it was in a, a game where they were already losing and i know yeah. like Kevin Plyer was trying to make something happen, but it just yeah, didn't work. Yeah, there's a time and a place. Yeah, was, yeah and I, I like the fact that Gibby kept him, you know, honest accountable, by yeah. making him accountable for the mistake, even though the team at that point was just, like, failing water, trying yeah. to keep the, the team from going, like, 20, 30 games below 500. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite one. But John Gibbons and ejections. Name a more iconic duo in Toronto, and I don't think there is one, except maybe Carlos Delgado in home runs. Yeah. I don't know. Monster Man, home no runs. One, nobody talks about Carlos Delgado anymore. It's. I know it, this is all about Gibby, but like. Yeah, we've mentioned it before how how big of his uh, how big of a snub his Hall of Fame vote was. He was on oh. the ballot for one year and didn't get enough votes to stay on, and he'll likely never get in. And it's unfortunate. One of the it's best that. Latin American like powerheaders. Yeah, exactly. And like <laughs> he's just gone from our lives. We don't talk yeah. about him. We don't think about him. And like this is a player that meant the world of the team for like a decade. Hey, maybe Carlos Delgado can be our new hitting coach next season when Brooke Jacoby is uh, likely gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not get into that right now. Let's get into the recap and the forecast. Sure. So overall, we went three and five this week. I don't know if any of us uh, got that number correct. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, everything is just a. It's all a blur. A great <laughs> yeah, it's also it's also depressing that it's like I just can't even remember what we talked about last week, just because it just feels like it doesn't matter. But uh, we already talked about the the uh, the Baltimore series mm-hmm. mostly last week with the two pick up the two wins. Um, Five nothing and six to four, but we did lose two one to Baltimore uh, in the third game. Justin, what are your thoughts on that uh, on that loss? It was kind of tough to watch. Uh, I mean, we've 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 seen Marco Estrada just gradually and sharply go downhill this season. 
as it seems like he's reached the end of his usefulness as a uh, major league starter. I mean, we saw another good outing from our left-handed boy, Tim Meza. Ryan Tapera was decent. Danny Barnes, uh, I mean, we know how you feel about Danny Barnes after your little rant last week, um, was not good. Uh, McKinney and Guriel picked up a couple of hits each, and nobody else did anything on offense. So, I mean, uh, that's there's not much to say there other than the fact that we got good efforts from four guys on our roster, and that's about it. Yeah, the Marco Estrada story is just the story that just keeps getting sadder and sadder as it goes along. Oh, it's yeah. just we'll see him again very frustrating. later in the recap too. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're probably gonna have to eulogize his career next week when the season's over. Yeah, maybe uh, a little bit but, of Celine Dion in the background while we do that too. <laughs> oh, I was thinking more like Sarah McLaughlin, a little more Canadian flavor. Well, actually, they're both Canadian, they're both Canadian but Canadian. I mean, like Sarah McLaughlin is. I was thinking of some uh, My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> it could be that. It could be I Will Remember You. I Will Remember You, you yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one they played during the SPCA ads. Yeah, that's so sad. Oh. Yeah, I know. They just know how to like make you feel bad about not adopting you know, an like, animal. Cut to the core. And then you go out and adopt an animal. And then you're like, now I need two animals. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, moving on, we got a 2-2 series split. With Tampa Bay, the Jays won a big one, nine to eight, with a glorious comeback. Oh man, come uh, for the ages. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was nice seeing Justin Smoke do something, because um, he has really struggled tremendously here in the back part of the uh, part of the year. But Gurriel, Smoke, Jansen, and Telez all had bombs. Mm-hmm. Gaviglia wasn't bad, but he just could not get past the fifth inning. Um, what is there to say about Gaviglio that we haven't already said? Do you think he's on like a pitch cap or is he like the bullpen day unofficially? What's um, going on with him? I think the cap on Gaviglio is kind of four to five innings. I don't think he's capable of doing that. He just doesn't have the stuff to get through the order a third time. Um, and I think that's probably why we've seen his outings end when they do he i think he went seven innings a few times at the very start of his uh stint in the rotation but since then he, he goes maybe four or five innings max and yeah i just think that's just where his ceiling is yeah he strikes me as being in the long term part of our uh, long relief effort yeah He's definitely, he doesn't have the stuff to be a starter. No. At least right now. And I don't know, how old is Gaviglio again? 25, 26? He's old enough that he should be decent, but <laughs> I don't think he is. I'll look him up. Yeah. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr., who... He's 28 oh. already, by the way, Gaviglio. Who is? Gaviglio's 28. 20, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. He's, past his, he's past his development stage, and he's he, he's reached his ceiling. He's peaked. Yeah, he's either going to make it or he is going to end up in AAA. Yeah. But back to Mark Leiter. There I'm so I'm all we have we've barely talked about Mark Leiter on this podcast and I'm already tired of saying that name. Yeah. He did everything he could to blow the game for the Jays. Thankfully, uh the ninth inning was just this like slugfest. Yeah, it was this resurgence of, of, uh, of big bombs that Toronto fans have been used to the last few years. 
Um, watching Mark Leiter Jr. pitch reminds me a lot of like a very invasive surgery on the body. The thought of him getting on the mound just makes me squirm <laughs> with frustration. He's so bad, and I don't understand why he keeps getting trotted out there when we could give extra innings to some of the younger guys. It doesn't even matter. Like maybe some of the maybe Sean Reed Foley could take the inning. I don't know. But I mean, really, we're going to trot this guy out and he gives up <laughs> like a zillion runs every game. Like, I'm just, t- I don't want to talk about him anymore. We're Let's moving move on. on. The Rays came back to hammer the Jays 11 to 3. Everybody who pitched in this game should just go home and think about what they did. <laughs> it, it was just an embarrassment. Mm. Um, Guriel was 3 for 4 at the plate. Everyone else either mustered a hit or was invisible. I can't say enough nice things about Guriel, and I feel like it's just getting to the point where it doesn't mean anything when it comes from me. So, Justin, I'm handing it over to you. Talk about Guriel. No, I'm in the same boat as you. I've been very impressed with what I've seen from Lourdes. His defense was very, very suspect um, earlier on the year, but I've seen gradual and steady improvements from him as the season has gone on, um, including a few nice plays where he's moving to his left or his right in the hole or behind second. He makes some plays look good from shortstop. Uh, I'd like to see him walk more. We've touched on that before too. But even in his Miley career, he's never been one to take a ton of walks. And his strikeout rate's always going to be around that 20%. But if he can bat 280, 290, where he is, he's sitting at 281, I think that's going into today. I'm not sure if he got a hit or if he even played today. I can't recall. But I mean, if, if he can. He's done for the year. Oh, that's right. He did get shut down with the, with the hamstring. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, but I mean, but... he's he's been he's played in sixty five games for us, um, and he had that eleven game multi hit streak. So I mean, he's done some exciting things. Um, so I, I I like the guy. I think he'll probably be he'll be in at least competition for a starting spot next season. It would be crazy if he wasn't in a starting position next season. Yeah, we'll talk it, about that in the roundtable. There's some crazy, some it, crazy scenarios that could happen. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's so there's a lot to be figured out between now and spring training oh, next year. But while we're at it, um, Tampa Bay's bullpen days. I don't know what to say about this. Is this a viable strategy going forward? Is this just something we're going to see more teams doing? Well, um, I think the Twins have done it a couple times, and maybe the Padres have started doing it as well. And I've I've talked about this before how the how the Rays have I think they have a winning record I mean they have a they have an overwhelmingly winning record on the season and they for the most of the year they've only had three starters max so that was back when they had Snell uh, Archer and Nathan Nivoldi. Um after the Archer trade with Snell in the DL they had no starters in their depth chart until he came off so I mean they have one starting pitcher right now outside of uh, Tyler Glasnow um, who's been up and down. So, I mean, three days out of five, they're throwing bullpen days, and it seems to be working for them. Um, they have a very good bullpen. I think that's probably the prerequisite for having this success is having pitchers who are capable of um, of, of, of participating in this sort of strategy. So I think it is a viable strategy. I don't want to see it become widespread. Um, I hate the shift. and I, I hate bullpen days probably equally as much as I do the extreme shift. Uh also, I just hate that guys won't bunt in that shift too, but that's a story for another day. 
<laughs> but yeah, I I think this is a good strategy for teams with with great bullpens. Yeah, I mean it works. They wrote it as as far as they could this season. Oh man, and big time. I know, like we we crap on Tampa and we crap on uh, the Trop and everything like that. But the truth is that the Rays fans should be super proud of the team. Oh yeah, for what they're able to accomplish this year, especially dealing with the just the gluttony of injuries and the fact that they traded away Chris Archer and were still competitive yeah i mean it wasn't until you know late september that they were you know mathematically eliminated yeah they are one of the few teams that were playing meaningful baseball in september and i think the as is the case with most of the teams in the al east except for the dumpster fire in baltimore (laughs) every game that those young guys play to get experience in tampa just makes them that much better agreed and speaking of young guys getting more experience Hanon was solid yeah as the jays picked up a five to two win another quality start from thomas Panone. he's only 24 years old and he just turned 24 i know he had the issue with peds and i mean we've previously said how harsh uh, of an opinion we have about players who get caught with peds Mm -hmm. is your mind changed at all about that and is he a viable option for the jays as a starter aside from that one bad start where he got the crack kicked out of him that we talked about last week he's been solid uh what are your thoughts on panone and where he fits in um as far as my thoughts on guys who use peds uh that hasn't changed it's still not something that you want to happen uh but i mean (laughs) yeah Guys like that will get tested for the rest of their, of the rest of their careers. And obviously, he's clean now and has been for some time. Um, yeah, that one bad start, I, I'm not even going to look at it. We've 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 seen pitchers with longer careers than Thomas Pone have one bad start every so often, and they're fine. 24 years old, he's he fits right in that perfect core um, age for our starting pitching with with our young guys coming up along with Stroman and Sanchez and likely Ryan Barucki and maybe even Sean Reed Foley. Now we have, we have five guys who are below the age of 30 who all have high ceilings that none of them have reached yet. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's exciting. It could be, it could be frustrating if there's some growing pains. I mean, guys, teams are seeing Pannon maybe twice some teams this season. Um, and that might be like Baltimore and, or a shitty team like that who doesn't really matter how many times they see a guy, they can't hit him anyway. But as far as Panone being a viable option for us moving forward, I think he's at least earned the right to be in the conversation come spring training. It remains to be seen what we do with free agency. Obviously with Estrada leaving, there'll be some questions there. Um, and we do have a, a stable of arms with, with Sanchez, Stroman, Baraki, Reed Foley, Panone, Gaviglio, whomever else comes up from AAA um, with the intention of starting. So it's going to be interesting to see what that competition is like come March. He's very good at limiting extra base hits. Yeah. Uh, aside from when he got knocked around real bad uh, against Baltimore in the 12-5 to loss. That was back on August 28th, so... Only a month ago that that happened, but since then, uh, he did a couple of bullpen appearances, um, got his stuff back together, 
and he's produced three quality starts in a row. All three of them were wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know like we talked a little bit uh, in previous episodes about how Pannon might not be that number five guy. He might end up being that long reliever. Yeah. But I would like for us to roll the dice on Pannon, give him the starting, the number five spot next year. Uh, use whatever money was going to be spent on getting a free agent to take that spot and just put it towards uh, our boy there, uh, Patrick Corbin. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should be able to get him in a reasonable amount of money. And Pannon, hopefully the PD thing is behind him. Yeah. I know, like, when it when it happened to uh, Chris Colabello, I was like, get him out, get him out of here. And... Um, I think I've changed my mind as far as how I feel about it. Obviously, like, I don't like cheaters in baseball. I've said this mm-hmm. before, especially talking about Roger Clemens and yeah. Barry Bonds. I don't like cheaters. I don't know whether or not Pannone w- was actively aware of the fact that he was taking PEDs. I don't know how you how you not know that or how yeah. you could forget it or, or whatever. Uh, but the fact that he's clean now... Um, shows that at 24 years old, he's at least responsible enough to, you know, smart not up. cheat and and not lie. Yeah, he's like he's smarting up, and um, I think he deserves a shot. So let's give him one. Rowdy <laughs> Tellez went three for four with another home run. This, it's getting ridiculous. Um, Tellez is doing absolutely everything he can right now to convince the organization that he should have a starting spot next year. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I think that I am a convert over to thinking that this 23 year old can do it. And I know that's weird because we've only seen him in what, like 15 or six, (laughs) 16 games, so under 20 games, but his fielding percentage in all of his appearances is 979. That's pretty good. He's obviously not as good defensively as uh, Smoke Daddy. But what do you think, Rowdy Telez? Is he? I mean, we'll talk about it when we're talking about the the, the infield there. But we're... as is Clayton this would ridiculous? say, save it for the roundtable talk, Patrick. <laughs> I know. I can hear Clayton's voice in my head. <laughs> So the thing I the thing with Rowdy is his batting average on balls in play is four ten right now, um, <laughs> so that's very unsustainable. His overall average is three thirty nine. He he's hitting off the charts right now. He's played in nineteen games. Let's he strikes he strikes out twenty about twenty five percent of his plate appearances, which is actually about nine percent higher than it was in Buffalo. Um, and he's only walking in 2%, which is 7% below his Buffalo numbers. So we've seen him hit the crap out of the ball. Um, and when he's not hitting the ball, he's swinging and missing. He's Buck, Buck Martinez kind of said yesterday in the, during the game that he's not a wild swinger, and I tend to agree with that. His Lots of his strikeouts have been on pitches in the zone or uh, called strikes. Um, so, I mean, it's not like he's out there just hacking away at everything in the dirt like we used to see Vernon Wells do on every slider. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> Those were the days. But uh, his OPS is like over a 1,000 right now, and that's only sustainable by maybe 10 guys in the big leagues. Um, and I don't think Rowdy Telez is in the same category as Mookie Betts or Mike Trout yet. <laughs> it may never be. <laughs> 
time we, will tell. We can't, it is starting uh, to get a little ridiculous. Yeah, we can't say doing. it after 19 games that he's he's elite. Um, but it's definitely uh, very promising after um, a couple of down years for Rowdy. So, yeah, we'll talk about him more in, in the roundtable. Yeah, of all the players uh, that were on the field that game, I think Telez was the player of the game for the Jays. I think so. Uh, just, despite Pannon having a quality start, he was just... He just looked like everything was going right. Uh, mm. But, I mean, Tepernit, Clippert, and Giles all shut it down. The bullpen was solid, uh, getting us the W. The Rays came back right away uh, to talk about uh, the 5-2 win there. Blake Snell, he's obviously a Cy Young favorite. Um, Barucki was actually great in the loss. He just didn't get enough run support. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get him away from, you know, taking the L. Not that yeah. wins and losses matter. Nope. but. <laughs> No, I mean, you look at Barucki's four and five. Uh, if he was on any other team, he would, you know, he'd probably be like eight and one or something. He's yeah. been really solid uh, for us, and he's earned that number three spot. <laughs> There's not really much else to say about that game uh, other than, you know, the hitters are great at going invisible whenever they're needed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another 2-1 series lost to Houston that just wrapped up this week. Uh, games on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, the 5-3 loss, yet another uh, Estrada loss. Uh, it should be his final home game. I don't think we need to repeat ourselves again about Estrada. Uh, Pilar did get two hits, so, hey, Clayton must be happy. Yeah, shout out to uh, Kevin Pilar for Clayton. Yep, yeah, uh, got the home run, did strike out twice. Salarte had two hits. And, uh, Justin, you were right on the money, the infield uh <laughs> fly ball to end the game yeah i know i was sitting with my sister watching the the last inning there just saying seeing if we could come back and i said to her when slarte came up i said he's going to pop up on the infield and sure enough he popped up just in foul ground beside first base um and the reason that that i called that was not only is slarte's infield fly ball percentage almost 20 percent but he already had two hits that game so if math is right slarte should hit one infield fly per five uh, plate appearances. And that was, I think it was his fifth plate, fourth or fifth appearance. So it was pretty likely it's probably more than 19% of the time that he would hit that pop up. So I just played the odds. What can I say? I'm a, yeah. I'm a gambler. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's math. It's yeah. math. math. But, uh, to Para, Patrick and Clippert all through 3.1 scoreless innings. Yeah. Uh, at least half those guys aren't going to be back next year, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, Joe Biagini, who's probably going to be, you know, taking orders down at the 7-Eleven uh, <laughs> next year, gave up a run in the ninth. Nothing else to be said about that. Yeah, that's about uh, it. And then we got hit with another 4-1 loss. Gaviglio uh, went five innings, didn't get to the sixth. Uh, three strikeouts, two walks, four runs, three of them were earned. Um, the bullpen was great. Fernandez, Barnes, Paulino, and Leiter Jr. all got uh, scoreless <clears throat> innings pitched. Um, Billy McKinney had the solo home run. Diaz had two hits. Congratulations, though, to Jonathan Davis. Yeah. Uh, getting his first career double. Yep. And Anthony Alford making an unreal catch. If you haven't seen this one, Go watch the uh, the link that the the Jays have up on their Twitter. It was a crazy good catch. It might have been the the best catch I saw all year from the Jays. Agreed. Yeah, it was either that or the Gritchick one where that he Over literally just like pulled yeah. back. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know uh, he's, he's quick. That's all we can say about Alfred. He's very quick. His break, his instantaneous break on that ball was, was awesome to see. I would love to see him in center field next year. <laughs> Me too. It's just he's got to get the bat going. Yeah, he does. He's got to figure that out. That's what's holding him back right now. I just don't know, like, if he's got the time now. Like, his development is getting close to the end, and it's either going to happen or it's not for him. I think it will still. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so, too. He's far too fast. I think he's got the, the potential to steal 30 bases one way or the other. Yeah. And I just see him as being the kind of player the Jays need to kind of counteract all these guys who can get extra base hits. We need someone who can get on base, like a Billy Hamilton type, who can yeah, get on and, score. and yeah, run, run around the bases and make uh, catchers look silly. Um, we got the 3-1 win today in uh, Gibby's last home game. Sean Reed Foley pitched 3.1 innings, uh, one run, five Ks, uh, one walk. Uh, his innings were limited due to the fact that he's now thrown 163 this year. Uh, total between uh, the majors and the minors, that's 30 more than 2017, so it kind of makes sense, right, that he would yeah. be shut down. Uh, Bia Genie, Patricka, Mesa, Tepera, and Clippert all had scoreless uh, innings pitched. So this week was actually a great week for the bullpen. Uh, some of those guys will be back. Most of them won't. <laughs> Anybody in that lineup of five guys who had a scoreless inning today stand out for you? Tim Meza again. We talked about him lots last week where um, where he has been great the last 30-plus games that he's worked. So, I mean, that's, that's probably the guy that will be back for sure. Yep. I would love to see him as the eighth inning guy next year or seventh inning, whatever. Yeah, Give lefty, him a chance. lefty specialist, that, that kind of role, yeah. Something like that. Uh, Giles with the save against his former team, which was great. Mm -hmm. uh, that was number 24. 24, for 25 on the season and 14 for 25. 14 with the Jays. Yeah, 14 for 14. He's been perfect. I yeah. mean, you can't ask for much more. No. Uh, certainly coming, coming from a team that is you know, going to compete in the playoffs, coming to a losing team. can be frustrating for a traded player, but he needed the fresh start. He's ecstatic to be in Toronto. Whatever mental block was there before seems to be gone. He's definitely going to work out big time during the offseason, and he just seems hyped to be in Toronto. Yeah. So excited for that. Grich Daddy hit a home run. Um, I think that gets his total up to, what, 25? 24, 25, yeah. So he's going to fall short of my 30 home run <laughs> prediction, but still a good year. Still a great year for Gritch Daddy, and it's only going to get better next year. Mm. Uh, Reese McGuire with his first career home run. Yeah. Congrats. And uh, John Birdie made his MLB debut after eight years in the minors. Congratulations, John Birdie. Johnny Hustle. How do you deal with you know that much time in the minors do you think at some point it goes through your head like you might never get there and you just kind of accept it and live with the fact that you're going to be in the minors yeah i think so i think at that point the guys who play that long just love playing baseball and i mean if you're in a minor league organization you're still playing at a very high level um i mean john john birdie's the all-time leader and i believe in doubles and stolen bases for new hampshire uh, he spent a lot of time in double A over the years and he plays good defense at second base as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's a good organization guy. He's not, he's never going to be a major league standout if he ever 
makes a major league roster, he'd be kind of like the Ryan Goins type where he'll just be a very good defender. Still, I'm glad that uh, the season kind of ends on a high note for somebody. Yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, one more series to go. Uh, we've got three against Tampa in Tampa to close out the year. We've got Pannone versus Snell game one, Barucki in game two, and Estrada will likely close out the season in what has been a season to forget. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think we go 3-0-2-1-1-2 or 0-3? I think we'll win the Barucki game, and that's probably it. I feel sorry for Pannone having to go against Snell this time. Last time it was Barucki, but Snell's likely going to get his <laughs> 22nd win of the season and hopefully solidify any doubt that he is the American League Cy Young winner. I know. It's frustrating because on one hand, I do want the Jays to win the baseball game, mm -hmm. but I also would like to see Snell solidify his Cy Young candidacy. Yeah. Not, not that I have anything against Chris Sale, but Blake Snell has more than earned it, and it has nothing to do with wins. No. It has everything to do with the fact that he has been the model of consistency for a team that has had no consistency whatsoever in their starting rotation. Yeah, and he's got a he's got a great ERA against uh, teams in his division with winning records. Like, I think his ER his record against the Yankees and Red Sox is like seven and two, and I believe his ERA is below two and a half against those teams in like nine or ten starts against them combined. So that's that's the best competition in the league, arguably this year in all of majors, and he's pitched very well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just wish he had had the chance to pitch some meaningful playoff games against the Yankees and the and the Red Sox. But I digress. I'm going to say that we're going to go 2-1. and one. I think Snell gets the win. Uh, Barucki will come out, get the win for the Jays. And Estrada will come out and pitch his swan song for us, <laughs> uh, have a, a quality start. And uh, we'll see Giles get saved number 26. And that'll be the end of a year that we probably aren't going to want to talk about. And I can hear long. Clayton right now saying we're going to go 0-3 because it's the trop and everybody hates the trop. <laughs> I know, it's true. But uh, I'm going to throw it over to you, Justin, Perfect. and talk about who's hot and who's not this week. Yeah, let's take a look. Uh, we're going to go again and look at the last 30 games of, of the season to see if there's anybody who's really stood out. Um, on the hitting side of things, Rowdy Telez obviously has been probably our best hitter uh, since he was called up, uh, he's got his slash line is ridiculous. It's he's hitting over 370, um, three home runs in seven in 17 games, a lot of doubles. It, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, we're, we're likely gonna pick up the option on Smoke Daddy, and we'll talk about that in the round table. But there's probably just no room for Telez, unfortunately, in 2019. Uh, Gritch Daddy. Uh, his strikeouts have been been high, but the power numbers have also been there. The last 27 games, he's still batting 280, which um, I had said earlier in the year that I thought his his ceiling was around 270, 280. So this is kind of hopefully what we'll see from Grichuk on uh, a grander scale all of next season. Hopefully he doesn't hit 094 in April again. The impatience is kind of a thing. Hopefully he can work on seeing... Uh, some more pitches this offseason when he's watching some film and he'll be able to see what he's doing when there's some pitches out of the zone. Aledmus Diaz, we've talked about him a lot uh, lately. He's a, He's got good contact and his power is great. Like he's got 17 or 18 home runs this season, which is a career high, and he missed some time on the DL. He's hitting around 280, which is a great average for um, somebody who's probably just a 
a bench guy and a fringe starting a starting player on, on, on their teams. It it sucks. Uh, we might see we might see Diaz at shortstop if Tulo can't do what he says he will and start next season. Um, but other than that, I mean, Diaz has been solid. He's kind of one of those guys who doesn't really stand out. Any thoughts on any of those guys, Patrick, before we go to pitching? No, I mean, we've talked about all these guys before, and yeah. there's not much else to say. Uh, all the numbers, by the way, uh, they're as of, I think it was Monday when we uh, got our sheet ready. So yeah. there's obviously Telez's batting average is down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to happen when you play games and, <laughs> and don't you get bat hit. 370. <laughs> but um, I think all three of these guys will be on the opening day roster. Bold, hot uh, take. Unless magically they get traded. But I think credit should go to... Uh, Grichuk, who again brought his average up from below 100 yeah. in April to, you know, it's gonna be solid, pushing 250, uh, 240 something yeah. for the year. Good for him. Uh, on the pitching side, uh, Tim Mesa, we talked about him last week too. I mean, last 13 games, he's got an ERA of zero. He worked, yep. he also worked again today and another scoreless inning. So we can say 13 or his last 14 games now. <laughs> It's it's incredible for a guy. Uh, we saw him struggle early in the year. I think he went back down to AAA, and then since he's been back up, he's been lights out, and it's make, he's making it very hard for us to send him back down and to never bring him up again. I think he'll probably be with us next season. Uh, Barucki, uh, the last 30 games, he's thrown 32 innings for the Jays. Uh, he's been perhaps our strongest starter. His record's not great. It's 1-2, and two, but his ERA is 309, which is the best in our rotation over that time. I'm with you, Patrick. I think that Brecky's probably earned a spot in the rotation next season. Based on what we've seen from him, I don't think there's any uh, logical reason that we can come up with to say why he shouldn't be a starter. It'll just be interesting to see what kind of offseason he has. I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger. He'll have to work on his um, endurance because if he's going to be a major league starter, he'll be if they don't limit his innings, he'll probably pitch 170, 180 innings next year. That's probably something he's never done before. Yeah, I, I see the offseason as being one of massive overhaul when it comes to oh, the yeah. strength and conditioning of uh, the pitchers. I think we're going to see the pitching coach uh, gone, yeah. and we're going to see a new, younger guy come in, someone who places a big emphasis on fitness. Uh, not that any of these guys are remotely close to being unfit, but it's all about getting the most out of your body. Yeah. And Barucki is the type of guy who's not going to be throwing, you know, fireballs all the time. True. He is baby Burley. He yeah. is Mark Burley and reincarnated, uh, which is very fitting considering you grew up idolizing <laughs> the guy. Yeah. Uh, but he's doing everything he needs to do uh, when he's out on the mound. He's handling his business. He's hardly gotten rattled at all this year and he he, along with tim mays i think represents a what will become a culture shift uh in the in the bullpen and when it comes to the pitching where we're going to see some younger guys who are maybe not out there throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs but are obviously in great control of what you know what they've got yeah um, moving on to who's not right now, uh, we're going to kind of go through this pretty quickly because I don't want to dwell on the negative too much and get to our uh, roundtable topic. Kendris Morales, sun's out, guns out, hasn't been, uh, there's been no guns lately. It's, the sun might be out, but the guns haven't been. He's batting 190 over his last 21 games, only one home run. 
We saw him play very well in the middle of the year, but he's really fallen off. He's got like 12 million guaranteed money next season, which is kind of a dreadful scenario for us. Uh, Smoke Daddy, um, he's still leading American League first baseman in OPS, but he's been very cold his last 24 games. With Rowdy Telez playing well, some people are saying that Rowdy should start, including Patrick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't know if it's going to be a thing or not. Kevin Pillar, Clayton's golden boy. Yeah, we see him hit the home run every once in a while. He he has a career high in doubles this season. But when he's not hitting home runs or doubles, he's striking out. He's hacking away. He's tomahawking pitches into the outfield. His on-base percentage is barely higher than his than his batting average because he doesn't know how to take a walk. And his defense is it's still positive, but it's getting worse every year. Kevin Pillar is, I think he's 28 or 29, but he's on his way downhill. Up for arbitration. Is he 30 already? Okay, I mean, I thought he was younger than that. But yeah, he's on his way down in terms of his uh, career trek and his, his stat lines. It's tough to get much worse than that. Marco Estrada on the pitching side. Ace Estrada is no more. <laughs> his last 30 games, I mean, I think his ERA is close to eight. We'll see him pitch again in Tampa Bay to close the season, most likely. We'll see. Hopefully, I love to see Marco go out on a on a high note, kind of like Gibby did today with the win at home. Obviously, he'll be on the road in Tampa, but it'd be nice to see him at least finish his Jays tenure with a win. Gaviglio, he's likely done as a starter for the season now. Yeah, we've talked about him in, enough. I don't want to talk about Gaviglio anymore. And some guys in our bullpen, Mark Leiter Jr., Danny Barnes, and Jake Patrichka has not been have not been great. I know Patrichka has pitched a couple of scoreless innings against Houston to maybe redeem himself a little bit. Uh, you've got here in all capital letters that Gibby keeps playing them. Well, unfortunately, that's just because we're playing dead baseball right now and we want to see what we get or what we have with these guys. Um, so there is that aspect of things. <laughs> I would rather have 50 Cent out on the mound throwing that opening pitch 50 <laughs> times a game than have to watch Mark Leiter and Danny Burns oh, man. throw another Major League Baseball pitch. Yeah, I would rather watch Ricky Romero come back Oof. to life. Are we still paying him? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even care. I would just, I, I, I don't understand. Maybe it's a favor to Al, uh, Al Leiter. <laughs> I don't know, because that's, uh, that's his, that's dad, his uncle. Yeah. Or his uncle, yeah, sorry, yeah. So yeah, he's definitely doing him a solid by giving him every opportunity to Oof. do something. Well, maybe help him get a job next year, but it's—I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is the end of Mark Leiter's <laughs> major league baseball career. I can't imagine a scenario where he's back with the Jays next year, unless yeah. they're like, "How do we lose 120 games?" Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on so, to some roster news. Let's get off the <laughs> negative of this of this not section. Uh, Aaron Sanchez yesterday had surgery on his right index finger in California. They expect him to be ready for spring training. Um, he met, I guess there are three finger specialists in the United States. That's something that I never thought was a thing, was a finger specialist. And he met with all of them. Um, it was kind of a surprise surgery because on Monday they said that he was going to go meet with the third guy, get, get, get a third opinion because the first two said surgery was a thing. So when he met with the third guy, he must have been like, yeah, let's just do this right now. And they're like, okay, let's do it right now. And they just did the surgery. Um, do you think that Sanchez can ever be what he was in 2016? Yes, but 
I don't know if it's going to be necessarily in Toronto. Yeah. I don't know. This guy has the worst luck ever. Oh, man, it ever. sucks. If it's not a re-agitation of a blister, it's jamming his finger in a suitcase. I just... <laughs> Whatever it is he's doing, like, he needs to walk around with mittens on his hands so that way they, his precious digits can't get hurt. Let's give him a Michelin Man costume to wear around. Oh, my God. Anything. <laughs> Something to protect Bubble boy. Him. Yeah. I do think he, he has the potential. He has not been good since 2016. Yeah. A lot of that we can attribute to the blister mm-hmm. last year. But there has to come a point where you got to, you know, cut your losses and say, look, we wanted this guy to be a part of the future, but it's just not going to happen. Do you think 2019 is his kind of his last chance to, I guess, be healthy and, and pitch well? No, because he's got another arbitration year after that. Okay. And I honestly don't believe that uh, the Jays are going to compete next year yeah. at all. I expect them to win at most 70 games. Uh, I don't think they'll lose more games than what they've lost this year necessarily yeah but they're not going to be much better unless there's some sort of dramatic overhaul of the roster that we can't predict at this point which could be the case could be it's hard to say yeah but with sanchez it's just frustrating to talk about because it's just injuries have been plaguing him Mm -hmm. and that's a perfect built-in excuse to (laughs) underperform yeah yeah, I mean, so, Devin Travis is kind of in the same boat. He's played in 102 games this year, career high, but he underwent an MRI on his left knee today. We don't have any results from it yet. Um, he hasn't played since Friday. He's been experiencing some general soreness in his hamstring and knee. I believe this is the same knee that kind of plagued him uh, in prior years. Uh, the Jays don't believe that either um soreness or ailment is serious and but i mean travis didn't have a great year um with the bat or with the glove and with guriel and diaz playing well uh and a young third baseman named vladimir Guerrero jr winning in the wings does devin travis have a place on the roster in the starting lineup or is he just going to be a bench guy next year i don't even think he's going to make it that far i think he he'll be dealt Fair there's enough. just no space for him anymore though as the season's gone on Guriel and Diaz's cases have just gotten stronger and stronger. Yeah. And if you, if we're being honest with ourselves, comparing Devin Travis and Lourdes Guriel Jr., it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Guriel needs to be in the lineup. Yeah, and speaking so, of Guriel, um, he's also done for the year too with a grade two hamstring strain that happened uh, yesterday in the, I believe like the first few innings of the game. Um, it was pretty cool to see him and his brother Yuli both play in the same game against each other, but it obviously didn't. Guriel didn't make the whole nine innings. Just again, just precautionary. Shut him down, get him healthy. That that's the same. It was the same leg that he uh, hurt in Chicago that ended his uh, kind of his run on that multi-game hit streak. But I mean, there's not really much else to say there. He's done for the year. Uh, Roundtable topic today. We've done already done our rotation. And starting outfields for 2019 that we would like to see. Um, obviously, with Clayton on here, it'll just be Patrick and, and myself's opinion today. But we're going to talk about infield today. So, Patrick, 2019 opening day infield. Who you got? I don't know, man. Let's talk about stats first. And yeah. then we'll kind of <laughs> tee it up and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. I know the only spot that in my mind is solidified 
Vladdy has to be the third baseman. On we'll opening on opening that. day, though, I don't know. <laughs> I know. It, I'm scared Service to think about what could possibly happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let, uh, talk to us a little bit about money and yeah. Then we'll talk about stats. We'll, we'll talk kind of a bit about who we had playing for us this year. A guy we haven't talked about much lately on purpose. Uh, mentioned the infield fly balls today is your Jan Harris Salarte. Him, along with Justin Smoke, both have team options and or buyouts for 2019. So Smokey has an $8 million team option with a $250,000 buyout. The buyout's affordable, um, but obviously Smoke's had a pretty solid year. He's hitting over 240. His OPS is over 800. He's got 25 home runs. Um, he's walking at a career high 14.1%. Uh, His strikeouts are a little bit up this year at 26%. But he still has a 123 uh, WRC+. plus. My opinion on Smoke's strikeout numbers are that he doesn't have or hasn't had a legitimate power hitter like a Bautista or an Encarnacion or a Donaldson to help him in the middle of that lineup. Solarte, on the other hand, started off the season just mashing the ball. I think he had 10 home runs before the middle of May, maybe even the end of May. But his option yep. for next year is $5.5 million with a $750,000 buyout. Right now, his batting average is around 230, and his OPS is barely over 600, which is very, very bad. Uh, 17 home runs on the year. He walks about 6.5% of the time, strikes out 14%, but his WRC plus is at 80, which is actually below Kevin Pillar's numbers. So good job, Kevin Pillar, for beating somebody in WRC plus this year. Um <laughs> Do you think we pick up both of those options, maybe one or neither? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that picking up Smoke's option is a no-brainer. Yeah. Whether or not he stays on the team or gets dealt is another interesting question. True. Uh, there is an interesting scenario where we pick up Solarte's option and keep him as a bench player, but that's an expensive bench player, and oh, yeah. even though he does have pop, 750k to buy him out and then invest that money in like a strong bullpen arm yeah i know clayton likes to criticize the front office by saying that we've had a bad record when it comes to signing bullpen arms but that is the case with at least 25 teams (laughs) in major league baseball you can't get it right all the time no and reliever arms are so fickle that Mm -hmm. investing that money means you got to make sure that you're paying to get somebody who has a proven track record and you can forecast a strong performance in the Rogers center. So buying out Solarte is an easy choice. Yeah. Um, buying out smoke would not make sense. No at all. Uh, so we picked that one up in a heartbeat. Yeah. But I do think that smoke makes for a more attractive trade piece than he does a future first baseman. Okay, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, his market value is definitely above above $8 million um, per year. So, yeah, picking up that option is is very smart, and it gives us something to work with um, come trade deadline 2019. Aledmus Diaz made $2 bucks or is making $2 bucks this season. He's, we have him under team control. He's kind of interesting because he was an international uh, free agent when the St. Louis signed him. They had signed him to a... Uh, four-year, $8 million deal back in like 2013. So when we got him, we signed him to a $2 million deal. 
We've got him under team control before for this next season before he becomes arbitration eligible. Based on his performance this year with the career high and and his home run numbers, he's probably due for a raise. Uh, He can play defense at short and third base very, very well. Do you think he makes somewhere closer to three million in 2019? Is that realistic? Oh yeah, I yeah. think we'll see him. Uh, you know, I don't think it'll go to arbitrate. It doesn't have to go to arbitration, no, not this right? season. No, uh, but the interesting thing, like if you if we compare just straight up um, Solarte's five and a half million dollar season to Diaz's two million dollar season, Diaz has blown Solarte out of the water. I mean, they have the same amount of RBIs. Diaz has one more home run, but because of his defense, uh, Alemis Diaz's WRC plus is more than a replacement level, whereas Solarte's is well below. Uh, the fact Solarte can play anywhere on the diamond as well, but he doesn't play very well. Um, whereas no. Diaz is an elite defender at two positions, maybe not elite at third base, but definitely at shortstop. Um, so that that's where his value is. And the fact that we have some guys like Devin Travis, like Troy Tulowitzki, and uh, to a lesser extent, Lourdes Gurriel, who have some injuries um, that have happened to them in the past and this year. Having a guy like Diaz, who stayed relatively healthy, I think he had, did he have an oblique strain or something like that, that he missed some time, but he's been just as good as he was before he went um, down as he has been since he came back. So I think Diaz is probably a bench guy going forward at least once uh, Vladdy takes his rightful place on the throne of that is the Toronto Blue Jays third base position do you think that Diaz starts the year or at least is in conversation for a starting position oh yeah he'll be in the the conversation as far as a starting position and whether or not he gets one or not I'm not sure he might end up being that new role that's been happening on a lot of teams that like Brock Holt type of player, like the super utility. Right. Am I using that correct? Yeah. Where it's like pretty much an everyday player, but not playing the same position every day. I could see him bouncing around because he, is he serviceable at second base? I don't think we, I don't think we've, if, we, if we've seen him at all there this year, but I would like to think that a guy who can play shortstop, can probably play anywhere on the diamond on the infield anyway. Um, so, I mean, it'd be interesting to see him. They, I, I'm pretty sure he could probably convert to uh, second base pretty easily. Yeah. We haven't seen him at, at short or at second at all this season. He's played 94 mm-hmm. games at short and 28 at third base. Yeah. So that's obviously out, but yeah. Um, depending on what they if they do the sneaky thing with Vladdy and keep him down, they uh, maintain <laughs> control, or if they say let's just give the kid a chance, yeah, from the start of the year. I mean, keeping him down for a year control makes perfect sense to me, mm-hmm. and he'd still be eligible for rookie of the year if that was ever a concern. Yeah, uh, which it really shouldn't, shouldn't be. be, but the idea of like maintaining extra control the same way the Braves did with Acuna this year. Um, I, I would understand, but I honestly, I think in order to get people interested in blue Jay baseball in March, you're probably going to want to have Vladdy in the lineup, but you know, what do I know? I'm not a ma- I'm not a general <laughs> manager, so, uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. 
Uh, Devin Travis, the next guy on our little list of stats here. He's going to be entering his second year of arbitration. We signed him to a $1.45 million deal prior to this season. His batting stats are atrocious this year, batting 232 with a 275, aka Kevin Pillar on base percentage, um, and a WRC plus of 76. Has not played great defense. The organization still appears to believe in Devin Travis. He probably makes no more than what he made this season. I don't know if he'll make any less just because of uh, service time, that kind of thing. And I mean, one point four five, one and a half million for for a guy who will probably be a bench player next year doesn't seem like a terrible um, investment. I'd rather see him than than Salarte back just because of the price tags. Um, do we keep him? Do we try and trade Devin Travis this off season? What do you think? He just doesn't have a future on the team, and I'm not saying that he's a bad player. It's not that. It's just. He's going to be the odd man out, whether it's next year or the year after or whatever. There's too many guys in the system who are going to be able to play above or at a replacement level player level as rookies or underdeveloped uh, prospects. Uh, He has had an atrocious year. This was the worst year imaginable for him to be having a bad year. Yeah. Because of, of the glut of players who are going to start pouring into uh, these positions. He's he's an okay second baseman. His bat mm-hmm. is not very good. He would still remain an attractive piece to a team that badly needs a second baseman. Simply because he is young enough that he might still be able to figure it out. So he is, his window of figuring it out before he becomes <laughs> like... Uh, Dalton Pompey like player is yeah. he's it's he's closing. like very close to that point. Yeah. But I just don't see him having a future with the Jays. So I'm in agreement with you, especially with who we have coming up through our system. Um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who we've talked a little bit about today, we won't talk too much about his batting stats, but we'll talk about his money side of things. So when Lourdes signed, we signed him to a seven-year, twenty-two million dollar contract when him and his brother uh, came over from. Cuba. Um, he earned about one and a half million uh, this year in the first year of his seven year deal. So he's going to make about two million bucks next year. And then every year after that, it goes up by an additional one million per year. So three million in year three, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, we've talked about that he's, his defense has improved. His offense is obviously, um, he's a very streaky guy, as evidenced by that hit streak. <sighs> I know when we get to our little uh, predictions about starting lineups, I think we're both probably going to have Gurriel at least in the conversation. Let's probably need to say about Lourdes for now. I want to get to Richard Urania and Rowdy Telez. They've both played extremely well in limited time. Obviously, we've talked about Rowdy's average above 350-ish. Um, he's viewed as a re- potential replacement for Smokey when Smoke's option year is done next season. Urania is probably a guy... I mean, I think he's hitting around like 280 or something right now in his limited major league experience. He's a great defender, uh, but he kind of seems like another Ryan Goins type where uh, he'll be a solid defender for a few years, but never do too much with the bat. Anything to add on Urania or Telez, Patrick? Um, I really like Telez. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't, 
I don't know. Like, I'm really conflicted about uh, Richard Urania. It's weird because, like, on one hand, Urania has great numbers in the 36 games he's played this year. Mm -hmm. And that should be enough to convince me that he deserves a spot on the team, especially considering he has more service time than Telez does. And I'm very high in Telez. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know, like... Maybe Richard Urania ends up uh, fall, falling backwards into the shortstop position next year. It's hard. It's it's really hard to yeah, say you never because know. let's take a. We'd have to talk about it again in February or March. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> I'm honestly thinking that Urania will end up being a bench player for the full season mm -hmm. next year, uh, but that means a lot of guys have to be dealt. Yeah. Before we get to that point, and that's a that's a lot of work that the uh the gm has to do uh as for telez i'm gonna bite my tongue for now but we'll talk about <laughs> the roster here in a minute yeah so last two points before we make our kind of opening day 2019 predictions we have a guy little known number one mlb prospect named vladimir guerrero jr you might recognize his name uh, he should be our opening day third baseman but because of the service time manipulation um, thanks to the latest collective bargaining agreement uh, Vladi will likely not be up for the first 13 games of the season. Once we get to 149 games remaining, you'll probably see Vladi come up because 150 games is one year of MLB service time. And if we keep him below that, we control him for one extra year before he can become a free agent. I think it pushes it back to about 2025 if we uh, keep him uh, down until game number 14. Uh, there's also a guy named Bo Bichette who is our, the number nine MLB prospect, his path to the big leagues is a bit more complicated. Not only is there a, a guy named Troy Tulowitzki who has said he expects to be ready for spring training and also wants to win his starting spot back, or he will, quote, pack his bags and go home. Um, but there are also Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Alemis Diaz, and Richard Urania, who are all capable of playing the shortstop position. Patrick, do you think that Bo Bichette sees MLB time before 2019 September call-ups? I hope so, but uh, he's stuck in a bad spot where yeah. he, there's so many guys ahead of him. Well, and we've talked about and guys I'm... behind him, too, in our organization. <laughs> Shortstop is crazy deep in our in our uh, Jays minor league system. I know. We still have Smith to talk about. and, and Jordan Groshans. I, <laughs> I know, and Gro I think Groshans is still... You know, three or four years away yeah. from the show, um, but he's he is super Intriguing. super young, <laughs> and there's yeah, he's he's got there's lots of time in his development left. With Bo Bichette, even Bo is only what twenty. Yeah, him and him and uh, Vladi are the same same age. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous how fortunate we are. He's to the have young, both he was the youngest guys. player in Double A this year, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, it could be tough. Uh, I really don't have a lot of faith in Troy Tulowitzki being able to come back, and that hurts to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with so many other guys, um, all kind of like blocking that path. Again, there has to be a lot of guys that get dealt or end up doing something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but uh, I think we can say bare minimum, Bo Bichette will be no lower than AAA next season. Oh goodness, yes. Okay, let's get to the, the main event so that we can let the listeners go to sleep if they're listening before bed. Um, let's start at third base and kind of work our way from left to right. 2019 opening day, 
who do you have at third base? Well, I totally recognize the fact that service time manipulation is a thing in MLB. But <laughs> I'm still I'm still going to say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be our uh, third baseman opening day just because I think that we are on the precipice of something very special. Yeah. And I think the entire organization knows it and I don't think there are any concerns at all about service time when it comes service time manipulation when it comes to the Jays. Vladdy has been dedicated to the team since he was signed. Uh, not that he would really have any choice, but <laughs> he could have picked any number of places to he go. Did. Yeah, but he chose right. Toronto. Yeah. And he has been very ardent in his opinions about Toronto and wanting to play and mm -hmm. everything like that. He's saying and doing all the right things. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Like I would say like screw service time manipulation, bring him up, have him start third base. It's going to be a really special season for him either way. I'm excited to see what he can do. So just let him, let him start. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I have uh Elimus Diaz at third base on opening day and in brackets I have until Vlad because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be our third baseman by the middle of April in 2019 um, and like we've talked about Diaz I don't have to go into his stats at all or his credentials shortstop I'm going to start this show at shortstop with a guy named Troy Tulowitzki some people might have forgotten who he is since we haven't seen him in a baseball game in about a year and a half now oh man I just want to believe that Tulo is correct in saying that he's going to be back for spring training. I want to, I want to be you, Patrick. I want to say that Tulo is back. When we have that <laughs> first episode of, of our uh, season two of Bat Flips Maple Dips, Tulo Witzke better be back or I will be really, really sad. Uh, I, I, I believe in the guy. I, I've, seeing David Wright come off the DL for a couple of days and he's going to play in his last game for the Mets on, on the 29th, which is also a sad moment. But I digress. Tulowitzki, I hope, doesn't have the same sort of swan song that David Wright will get. I want him to come back and have two, three more years of MLB value. Unfortunately, we don't really need him with the young guys we have coming up. If Tulowitzki's healthy, it makes it harder for Bo Bichette to make it to the Blue Jays at shortstop. And we also have guys who are capable of playing second base, but we'll get into that. So, I mean, Tulowitzki being healthy would certainly complicate things. But we're paying the guy like $20 million a year to rehab, so he may as well play if he can. Your thoughts on shortstop? Oof. Uh, you make a compelling case for too low, but <laughs> I don't have the faith that he's going to be ready. And at the same time, if there is any possible scenario where we can get get rid of too low. Yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, Short man, of DFAing him, be... I don't know <laughs> what we can do. To, to unload that salary would be tremendous, Impossible. whether he's serviceable or not. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't I don't think that Tulo is going to be our starting shortstop. Okay. In fact, um, if he's healthy, he'll probably be a bench player at best. Um, I think it's going to be Diaz, and the reason why is because Bo Bichette's not ready. Yeah. And um, our other guys who are capable of playing the middle infield are needed elsewhere. Yeah. So, sorry to uh, Richard Urania, but it's going to be Diaz. <laughs> so, second base, you and I, I believe we both have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. here. I don't think that needs too much of an explanation. 
he's been our best option both offensively and defensively at that position this year. Uh, we've we've seen Travis and Solarte play there along with Guriel. Uh, Guriel wants to be a shortstop, I believe, but unfortunately for him, that's not going to be an option in this organization <laughs> because we just mentioned how many players we have at that position. We do we need to talk too much about Guriel here. We've we've talked about him lots today. I know we've talked about Guriel almost nonstop since uh, the Guriel train arrived in Toronto, and that's a good thing. Let me tell. <laughs> I know it's a great thing. Let me tell you something though about the Guriel brothers. Okay, yeah. they did not have any minor league experience mm-hmm. before they came to North America. Yeah, both of these guys did not have time in a minor league system they're, until they're very 2016. Raw. Yeah. Or was it 2016 or 2015? 2016, I believe, yeah. Just two effing years ago. And they're both MLB starters now. Yuli's a World that, Series champion. <laughs> exactly. That should tell you the quality of the players. Yuli said it best when he said that Gurriel's probably a better hitter than he is. Probably a better baseball player. Time will tell on that one because Yuli is pretty good himself. Yeah, he's a power bat, though. Too. They're yeah. different. They're different profiles, Gur- which is which is really interesting. Guriel has been great this year, and honestly, like I don't know what counts as far as rookie of the year and and service time and things like that. Yeah. I don't know if Guriel will be eligible next year for rookie of the year. I'm not sure. I think he may have crossed the threshold already. He may have, but um, the idea of Vladdy and Guriel playing second and third next year. Yeah, I'm not saying we're gonna magically pull an Atlanta Braves next year. Yeah, but not it's yet. Got to be exciting. It's for, coming for people. Yeah, I I still think Guriel will be an All Star next season. I'm with you there. I'm I'm extremely concerned about his strikeout percentage and his walk percentage. Um, if either one of those, if we can get the the walk percentage to increase and the strikeouts to even remotely decrease whatsoever, and then him maintain uh his current pace of hitting yeah for an entire year he will he will definitely be an all-star mm-hmm. and he'll get some real serious looks uh if he can manage to mash 30 home runs yeah uh 30 home runs is a bit of a reach but i mean 20 20 home runs is probably um sustainable for i mean he got what he has 11, 11 this year in 65 games so i mean yeah he, he multiply that by two and a half and he's 25 26 probably 24-ish, somewhere in there. But, I mean, uh, first base is a bit of a, a highly contested debate. So I, I have Justin Smoke there just because it's the easy call. He's earned the right to at least have that option picked up, and um, we can assume he'll be at first base. You've got a different guy there. Tell us about that, Patrick. Yeah, I wanted to be contrary, so I opted to say <laughs> Rowdy Tellez. And the reason why isn't just because I'm – living off the emotional high of Rowdy Tellez making it That's to the, the majors and being, you know, and playing way over his head. If you look at the way that this team is going to end up being structured uh, next year and the years to come, there there isn't going to be space for guys who are in their early to mid-30s. Uh, that's just not what this team is anymore. We're seeing the end of Tyler Clipper. We're seeing the end of Marco Estrada. Donaldson's out of town. Encarnacion has been gone now for a couple years. Um, yeah. Jose Batista didn't come back. Uh, I just, 
I feel like if they're going to do something with smoke, the best thing that they could do for the team, knowing that they're probably not going to be competitive, is to deal him. Yeah. Take, take, sign him. Uh, like, uh, take that option. So you pay the eight million dollars. Smoke is probably worth double that as a first baseman. There's Probably. definitely going to be some American League teams who are going to want a first baseman. Um, certainly not within the division. No. Hopefully we wouldn't trade him within the division. But the idea of moving him and getting value and then just rolling the dice on a full season of Telez kind of excites me because Telez fits into that age group of players that we have. And you know what? We're, we're going to suck next year anyway, so... <laughs> Do we really want a whole season of Smoke Daddy batting 240 again and mashing 30 home runs and having it mean nothing? Like, I mean, yeah, we want to see it, but we want to see it happen if we can trade them. Um, yeah, so I mean, we do want to see that, <laughs> but if and if we do see it, he'll probably be traded at the deadline. Uh, bench. Yeah, I just don't see a scenario where Smoke uh, stays the whole year with the Jays. Yeah, if he even starting at all if we don't just deal them in the offseason and maybe prey on the insecurities of other teams that need a first baseman yeah um moving to we have just two bench spots we won't expand the benches too much for this um i have diaz and urania obviously i have diaz starting at third base until until vladdy gets there um diaz may shift to that shortstop role if chulewitzki truly is not ready um can we agree that our bench is going to be some combination of diaz urania travis yeah, it's going to be a, a poo-poo platter of, uh, of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, uh, if Tulo is healthy, uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to win back that spot. It's just... Well, what if he packs his bags and goes home? Like, what does that mean for us? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I don't understand. Is like, what's he trying to... Is that like some kind of veiled threat? I don't know if it's a he's... threat so much as it's like, it'll, he'll, he'll know it's time to retire. Um, I don't know. You, you know, if he retires, are we still on the? Uh, is he still on the books? That'd be interesting to see what would happen. Um, there'd probably be some clause in a in a contract about that. Um, I would think. I'm I'm assuming he'd probably get some portion of that money. Whether or not he'd get all of it, I I can't say for for certain. Um, until that comes to fruition, I don't really know if it's worth. <laughs> losing too many nights of sleep over. It's a lot of money. Uh, but we've we've paid guys. We've paid worse guys money before too. Um, Ricky Romero, once again, comes up in the podcast. Uh, on that note of Ricky Romero, any closing remarks today, Patrick? Man, I don't want to end on a Ricky Romero <laughs> zinger. Look, it's it's been to Jay's Nation out there, or whatever we call ourselves. Um, it's been a hard season. It's been a tough season. Yeah, we lost a lot of players that we loved throughout the year. Um, we have no idea what's going to happen with Troy Tulowitzki or Russell Martin. Who knows whether or not Marco Estrada is ever going to find a spot on a rotation ever again. It's okay for the team to rebuild. It doesn't mean that Shapiro and Atkins are evilly trying to destroy the team from the inside. Right. This is going to be a period of change. It's going to be painful. Uh, as are most roster overhauls. Um, I'm extremely thankful for the service we've gotten out of Estrada, Tulo, Martin, uh, Smoke, 
Batista, Encarnacion, all those guys. But that era is officially over. Mm-hmm. And it's time for us to look at all these great young players that we have and hope for the best in the years to come. Hopefully they are able to uh, compete at a level that we have been hoping for. Hopefully we can see uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. win Rookie of the Year next year and bring some life back to this franchise. Yeah, It's going to be a fun year. On that note, for Patrick Marsh and a sick Clayton Croker, I'm Justin Anderson. That'll be it for episode number 17. Wow, look at us go of bat flips and maple dips. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time.